from Boston, Massachusetts. Before we start this morning, I'd like to read from the preamble. The Al-Anon family groups are a fellowship of relatives and friends of alcoholics who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other in order to solve the problem of living with an alcoholic. We accept the fact that alcoholism is an illness which can be arrested. We have demonstrated that changed family attitudes can bring about recovery. The only requirement for membership is that there be a relative or a friend with a drinking problem. Though there are no dues or fees for membership, Al-Anon is self-supporting through its members' own voluntary contributions. Al-Anon is not allied with any sect, denomination, political entity, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in public controversy. Neither endorses nor opposes any cause. Our primary purpose is to practice the Al-Anon program in order to help others with a similar problem, aid the alcoholic through understanding, and to grow spiritually ourselves. There may be some who are not familiar with our tradition of personal anonymity at the public level. We respectfully ask that no AA speaker or Al-Anon member be identified by full name in published or broadcast reports of our meetings. The assurance of anonymity is essential to our efforts to help others, and our tradition of anonymity reminds us that principles come before personalities. Alcoholism, the family disease. It seems to me, from my own family experience, from looking at friends around me, that the happiest families are those where each member shares equally in his or her own responsibilities. If for any reason one member will not or cannot assume this responsibility, discord can occur. In any home where there is any type of a prolonged illness, a certain amount of discord does result. There is not the harmony. <clears throat> if that illness is alcoholism, how much more seriously the members are affected. The one parent tries to assume a dual role, and this is impossible. The children lose a feeling of security. They're bitter, they're resentful, they're ashamed. We become, I think he becomes very distorted, and each member of the family becomes an individual. We don't have the unity, the harmony, that can come from everyone equally sharing in their responsibilities. And this morning we have a marvelous program for you. And we're going to start with Dorothy S. from Milwaukee, who is in Al-Anon. Dorothy? Hi, everybody. Hi. I'm Dorothy, and I come from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and you all know what we're famous for. I will 
been and have been for the past, past six, 17 years a member of the Prospect Avenue Al-Anon group, the first group in our city. We have mothered, so to speak, directly or indirectly, the 12 Al-Anon groups now in existence there. I am very proud and happy to represent my group today and most grateful for the inspiration and guidance it has afforded me through some very difficult periods in my life. I speak to you today in a somewhat unique and dual capacity. First, as a wife and now widow of an alcoholic, and second, as a mother of an alcoholic. I have spoken many times as a wife, but this is my first experience addressing group as a mother. I don't know how often alcoholism strikes more than once in a family, but strangely enough, before my son's drinking became a serious problem, I was exposed to it twice in my own group. Each of the two women who founded our Al-Anon group not only was married to an alcoholic, but raised an alcoholic son. Their husbands, two of the finest AAs in the city of Milwaukee. I admire these women greatly because of their enthusiasm and activity in Al-Anon, and we became and still are very close friends. In their Al-Anon work, I noticed they said very little about their son's problems and concentrated to all outward appearances on working with their husbands and on themselves. I was constantly amazed at their courage and strength, and I wondered many times whether I could face the problem again as a mother. Little did I know how much I was to draw on the courage and strength that they had so magnificently portrayed. We were married 20 years when my husband embraced the fellowship, 20 years that covered prohibition, the Roaring Twenties, a depression, and World War II. Enough to make anybody want to drink, and we did. In 1931, the depths of the Depression, our first son was born. Five years later, still feeling the Depression, our second son was born. Much as I hoped and prayed, we had no more children. Our life in those early days was, as I am sure, the lives of many of you here who are willing to admit your age, and who are old enough to have lived through that era. Jobs were scarce, wages were low. We moved in with mother, and I went to work. Then with World War II, came a defense job, which paid good money. And to drown his grief because he was too old for the first war, and no, too young for the first war, and too old for the second, my husband concentrated on some real drinking, which became more concentrated as time went on. When my father passed away, we moved, we switched from living with his mother to living with my mother. 
And as the drinking continued to increase, I often pondered as to whether it was a case of too much mother. However strange as it seemed to me then, when my mother became ill and went to a nursing home, the drinking was worse than before. From eviction from our home to living once more with in-laws, to finding a modest home next to the railroad track, we reached the end of the line. And at the end of the line, we found a new life in AA and Illinois. From then on, for quite a number of years, it was a series of miracles and surprises. Going back into the family business, an appointment to West Point for our youngest son, and marriage for our oldest son at the ripe old age of 21. A dark cloud hovered over us for a while when the family business folded up, but God was on our side, and my husband was fortunate in obtaining an excellent position with a nationally known corporation. It was a traveling job, and the struggle for sobriety away from home was most difficult, and sometimes too difficult. But as I looked back, we were both trying very hard, and we were growing up and growing closer to each other as we began to realize that once more we were going to have to face the problem of alcoholism in our oldest son. Married at 21, he presented us with a new grandchild for five consecutive years. No joke, believe me. <laughs> this was not without complications and heartache. There were premature struggles for survival, which one did not make, and the only little girl was found to be mentally retarded, and at the age of four was put into an institution for such children. Too much, too fast. A feeling of inadequacy, fear and frustration for both my son and daughter-in-law found my son seeking solace and escape in alcohol, which, as you know, all led to more trouble, more frustration, and believe it or not, another grandson. <laughs> While all this was going on, our youngest son graduated from West Point married a year later, and a year after marriage, left for a three-year hitch in Europe. His life pretty well laid out before him. The day after our soldier son left for Europe, we made that long postponed trip to the doctors to discover that my husband had cancer of the larynx. And two weeks later, his voice box was removed. For about six months, he seemed to thrive and learned to talk remarkably well with a voice that came from his esophagus, a most difficult accomplishment. And then for two years, there was pain, 12 trips to the hospital, a reoccurrence of the dreaded disease, and one year ago last February, he passed away to suffer no more. While those two years were filled with heartache, I am very proud to have been a part of it. The philosophy of Al-Anon and AA 
found an entirely different meaning to it, and 24 hours a day meant just that. We found a new sense of value, a contentment in merely doing for one another, and a communication that needed no voice. We saw it through together, and I learned a great deal about courage from him. The kindness and devotion of the friends in the fellowship helped make the road ahead a little easier to travel, and I owe them all a great deal of gratitude. Shortly after his death, in a very long moment, feeling lost and lonely, I said to one of my closest and most frank Al-Anon friends, do I really fit in Al-Anon anymore? Do you think I should stay in the group? He said, that's the most ridiculous statement you ever made. You belong there as long as you don't canonize him. Now, it shot me for a minute, but this is the best thing she could have said to me, because I'm going to remember that. I loved him deeply. He was good and kind and sober, but I must remember enough so that I can understand the new girl who comes into our group. Now, this was my role as a mother. Now, let me tell you a little of my role Oh, my a wife. Let me tell you a little of my role as a mother. Now, I cannot honestly say to you that my son became an alcoholic because of an unhappy childhood or because of his father's drinking. I'm only giving you my personal opinion, my observations, and my conclusions. But I believe my son would have been an alcoholic regardless of his childhood. I raised two children under identical circumstances. One is an alcoholic, the other is not. One is emotionally sensitive, the other emotionally perceptive. There were times before AA in my search for a reason and a solution to my husband's fault with a bottle, when I felt that perhaps his mother had spoiled him. And because his father died at the age of 12, when he was 12, the whole family had been a little too indulgent. Now, perhaps if they'd made him stand up to life, things might have been different. And this became an obsession with me. Right was right and wrong was wrong. My children delivered papers, caddied at golf courses, set up buildings and bowling alleys to learn the value of a dollar, and also because dollars were very scarce then. If they broke a window, they were taught to promptly admit it and pay for it out of their own money. They were going to face life squarely and lick it. And through their teens, they were reliable and quite self-sufficient. One thing I was sure of in those difficult years, my children would never drink too much, particularly our firstborn, who was 16 when my husband came into the fellowship and had reached a point where he hated liquor 
and hated what it was doing to our family. He was resentful and skeptical when I sat down at the kitchen table with both my boys and explained to them what the AA program meant and what it was their father was trying to do. But during the years that followed, my husband was a good father and tried almost too hard to make up to his children and to me for the things he felt he hadn't done in the years before. They were both proud of him, and the relationship was good. What happened? The youngest son took a look at himself, decided on what he wanted to do, and went forward. The oldest, with an early marriage, and too many responsibilities and problems, most of his own making, ran to the bottle. When I accepted the fact that I had an alcoholic son, I searched once more within myself. Where had I failed? The mother now was me. There were areas that I took personal inventory where I felt I had perhaps pushed too hard. I'm a pusher. Preached a little too long took over a little too often, and yet in all sincerity I had done what I believed to have been right at the time. My Al-Anon exposure showed me that I was not responsible for my son's drinking any more than I was responsible for my husband. Furthermore, and I think this is most important for mothers, whether their sons are alcoholics or not, my son had reached manhood and was a husband and father in his own right. And I was powerless over him, not only as an alcoholic, but as an individual. And I had to keep remembering this. He had a wife, and she was now where I had been, and I had to understand. But here, the position of parents is a little difficult. When my daughter-in-law came into the family, we had accumulated a few material possessions, were happy and reasonably well-adjusted. In her opinion, unless I was going over the path and all the morbid details of dad's drinking, which I refused to do, she wasn't able to understand that I had been there. She respected her father-in-law, and he was good to her, and I wanted to keep it that way. Furthermore, she, I am sure, had her reservations about how responsible I was for her husband's drinking. I remembered I had been there. Stop and think of how difficult it is to explain the Aronan program to one's daughter-in-law. Release your alcoholic, my son. Start working on your own shortcomings. Oh, boy, this could be murder. <laughs> I knew that the only thing I could do was, one, be a good example, and two, I took her down on her knees and I turned her over to the young girls 
with young children of their own. My son attended AA for a while and then stopped. They are both very much aware of the two fellowships, but still believe they can punch their way out of that big paper bag all by themselves. I want to say at this point, I don't know how much my son drinks, how often he drinks. It's none of my business, and my daughter-in-law appreciates the attitude I am taking. And she doesn't come running to me complaining about him anymore. I think we are gaining a real good relationship. And the only thing I can live on is when I see him, he's sober, he's good, he's kind. And that's going to have to be enough for me. I don't know how much he mentally makes the comparison between his life and his brother's. I don't talk too much about the success of one to the other, and I had the opportunity to spend the week my youngest son came home on furlough, and I felt that the relationship between the two boys was good. I felt they both understood each other, and I felt relieved about that too. usually don't have any trouble in talking too much. And I'm taking a refresher card in acceptance and relief. And it doesn't come in six easy lessons, even now. I believe my children are secretly proud of my activity in Al-Anon. And perhaps indirectly, it gives them a sense of security and a feeling that they have something to hang on to. When I was asked to speak at the convention, I wasn't quite sure what I should do about it as far as telling my alcoholic son. Because I'm not very good at covering up, I told him that I was asked to speak. And he said, good, mother. And I said, have you any idea what my subject is going to be? And he just looked at me. And I said, I'm speaking as a mother. And he said, I figured that. And I said, well, you know, Chuck, and that going to Toronto and tell them about your escapades. But I'm going to try to put across to them what the position of a mother is and should be and what it is I am trying to work to achieve. And he just gave me a smile, and I figured that was good enough for him. I know my children have to solve their own problems, and I also know that as long as I live, I shall give them help and encouragement when they are actually trying to solve them. That's as far as I'll go. I won't get into the details of the problem. Perhaps the best way I can help them is by taking care of myself, by living a life of my own without any strings attached to theirs. I must be able to adjust to changes, believe me, and find a healthy measure of serenity and peace of mind. 
Oh, I get confused and terribly frightened for short periods of time. But I know I can't afford the luxury of self-pity, fear, or resentment. My sons, my daughter-in-laws, my grandchildren are all basically good. And I must continuously strengthen my faith in their goodness. I can't say my life has turned out the way I expected it or the way I had hoped it would. My two sons I had to release, one at the age of 21 and one at 18. My husband is gone, and I, God willing, can look forward to perhaps many years of life ahead of me. I believe I can fill them with happiness if I want to, and I want to. I can honestly say I enjoy being with my children, all of them. And I can honestly say I enjoy being without them. <laughs> I think this is good. It's normal and it's healthy. I am blessed with a good job, relatives and friends who mean a great deal to me, and all oh, yes, a brand new seven-month-old granddaughter. She's normal. She's, of course, the smartest little girl you ever saw. And I just happen to have some pictures if anybody's interested after the meeting. To me, she's a good omen. This is the beginning of something good. I feel the tide's going to change. And I have learned I can't put a limit, a time limit, on recovery. But I will always believe that it will come. In the May form, one of you gals from Canada, I don't know that she's here or not, wrote an article which was entitled Hands Up. And it gave me a great deal of pleasure and comfort. She said, We'll never know the true thoughts of another human being. We'll never know the undreamed of goodness that another may have within him. If we keep smothering the small flame of growth that may flare up, if there is any hope for a healthy recovery, we must take hands off of his destiny with love and cooperation in our hearts and wait patiently for God's will to be done. This I believe. I believe in AA. I believe in Elanon, and I believe my son will find the way. I read not long ago that a successful man gets what he wants. A happy man wants what he gets. I haven't been too successful, but I haven't been a complete failure. But I know what I've got, and I'm going to be happy with it. Thank you. Hello. Well, wonderful points that Dorothy brought out. The one that 
impressed me most was how easy it was for us to blame the parents of our alcoholic spouse. And which one of us can say for sure that our children might not be alcoholic? And will we want to have the blame placed on us? I, I think that was a tremendous point. And now I'd like to introduce Bob W., an A speaker from Louisville, Kentucky. Bob? Hi, everyone. My name is Bob Wessel, and I am an alcoholic from Louisville, Kentucky. I never, ever blamed my alcoholism on my mother. I was a little bit too busy blaming it on my mother now. <laughs> it seems that I drank alcoholically for about 16 years, and when I drank, I didn't think I ever offended anyone, that I was hurting anyone other than myself and that I could quit at any time that I wanted to. However, after getting into AA, I was sober. It must have been about two weeks when I discovered that I had a wife, <laughs> seven children, and on top of that, my wife was pregnant. So it wasn't hard for me, after I got honest, to accept the fact that I was an alcoholic and that this was a family disease. I would never have believed this when I was drinking. I was one of the hardheads. I was introduced to AA when I was 29 years of age. I felt at that time that I didn't need it. And even then, after hearing many stories around AA, I could still convince myself that I could control my drinking and I was hurting no one but myself. I know now that my drinking drugged my family down, my wife, my parents, and I know it drove her mother down. <laughs> because if I had to go down, I had my mind set that she was going with me. <laughs> and she did, too. Us alcoholics are very determined. <laughs> I think I drank alcoholically from my first drink. I had no problem with my drinking in my early days. I could take a drink and quit if I wanted to. I just never did want to. The drinking became 
really no problem to me until my wife got into Al-Anon. It, it seems there were a lot of problems in my life. Uh, I didn't recognize these as uh, being caused by alcohol. I lost a business, a very prosperous business that I was in, with my mother-in-law. <laughs> I lost the job that I had originally when I first got out of school. I lost an opportunity to play professional baseball. I lost many things, but I never blamed this on alcohol. I drank about 10 years before I think I ever realized there may be something wrong. I must have been about 25 at the time, I guess. Uh, we had, uh, I, I can't really remember, I think about five children, maybe six, I, I don't know. Uh, I can remember when I got married, the day I got married, uh, I was sober that day. Uh, she made me promise that I wouldn't drink anything that day, and I didn't. Uh, and many days in my life, uh, I've gone without a drink. These weren't very pleasant days going without a drink. When I was about 25, uh, I was threatened with divorce. I think now maybe the only reason I wasn't divorced is because of a family. Uh, and I don't have to tell you we're Catholics because uh, uh, since then there's two more children. We, we have nine. <laughs> but I, I was threatened with this divorce, and I've been threatened many, many times with it. Uh, I'm going to leave if, if you don't stop drinking, and uh, you're drinking too much and all these things. Uh, but this didn't worry me, but uh, she had called in the priest at our parish this time, and I took the pledge. Uh, I guess I was honest when I took this pledge, uh, but I, I, I knew I, d I didn't want to lose my family. Uh, I didn't want to lose her mother either. Uh, she, she, to me, was a lot of security. We certainly didn't get along in, in business or in anything that we'd done, uh, but she was security to me, so I, I took this pledge that I wouldn't drink alcohol in any form for one year, and I kept this for six months. Uh, I, I don't guess I really intended to keep it. Uh, uh, while I was sober on this pledge, or dry, I wasn't sober. Uh, I remodeled my basement and built a nice bar down there. <laughs> so I, I don't think I'd gotten on it yet. <laughs> this business, I was in the real estate business with my mother-in-law. Uh, I eventually had to sell this to her. Uh, I lost this business. It was a very prosperous business. Uh, I sold it to her for $8.75. <laughs> that was all that was left. 
I maintained this other job that I had. I, I was in sales. I spent 11 years with this company, and I held on to that as long as I could. I started with them uh, right after I got out of high school, and I had both of these jobs. After I lost this real estate business, I, I then worked for my mother-in-law. She didn't kick me out completely. Uh, I was a pretty good con artist. I could talk my way back in. After my job in sales got a little bit shaky, I decided that maybe that I should open a little business of my own. I went into the insurance business, and I had three jobs. Uh, I didn't have a big financial problem. Uh, I certainly wasn't wealthy. But I did have three jobs, income a little bit, coming in from three sources. By this time, I'd done very little work. I became quite a con artist trying to keep business, both businesses going, trying to lie to my boss to let him know what I was doing. Uh, I had planned so many fictitious trips out of town that I may have been in Toronto one week. I don't know. But I eventually got to the point where I couldn't work. I di didn't want to work. I, I don't know what it was. I had a, uh, an attitude that the world owed me a living. And I planned to sit at the bar and live this up. And I got to the point where I was forced into selling my home to save my credit, what was left. Uh, it wasn't much left by this time. And uh, I talked this mother-in-law of mine into buying a house. It's a huge thing. And uh, we would go live with her. Now, I did this so she could pick up all the bills. I'd, over the years, I had become quite indebted to her. With these five or six children that we had, uh, uh, it seems that I had to borrow a considerable amount of money uh, each and every year to pay my income tax. And, of course, I always turned to mother-in-law. Uh, she never was too willing, but uh, I would always get on my good behavior for a couple of weeks or maybe a week and uh, borrow this money. And when I sold this house, the money that I had coming from the proceeds, I could picture in my mind just how long that would last, how I was going to spend that money. And I was going to sit in the bars the rest of my life and never have to work again. I didn't reckon with this wife of mine, and we have a joint bank account at that time, and, and we still do. And we had no sooner closed this deal, and unbeknownst to me, she wrote a check out to her mother and paid her back, and I was broke again. <laughs> okay. 
this was quite a disappointment to... <laughs> I'd done the only obvious thing I knew to do. I got drunk to get even. We moved into this home. I guess I better call it a house. It wasn't a home. It was about this time that I was introduced to the AA program. It was a short time before this that Juanita was introduced to the Al-Anon program. And I think I come to this AA program through the Al-Anon doors. I can remember, excuse me, I can remember my brother getting into AA and he getting his life straightened out. And I thought this was wonderful for him because he certainly had a problem. <laughs> and he talked Juanita into attending Al-Anon. I, I didn't know what Al-Anon was. I didn't know what AA was. I, I had heard AA maybe a few times in my life, but uh, I wasn't interested in it. And Juanita started making Al-Anon meetings, and I noticed a slight change at home. Uh, I began to be able to come in and not have to answer so many questions. And, and I like this, Al-Anon. <laughs> many times when I was drinking, I have convinced her that she is crazy. I had the ability to be able to come in at 2 o'clock in the morning, and she would meet me at the door, and before the night was over, I would have her apologizing to me. <laughs> but I found that this Al-Anon program did something for her. And on Friday evenings, I made it a point to stay home to watch the kids so she could go to her Al-Anon meeting. It was shortly after this that I was talked into making an AA meeting. I don't know why I went. I didn't have any problems. I was living with my mother-in-law. She was paying the rent, the bills, and everything else. Uh, by this time, I, I had quit this other job that I had. Uh, I'd been with them 11 years, and I told them they couldn't do without me, and they said they could. And, uh, it all wound up. I walked in one morning. Uh, I, my boss's brother, who was a member of AA, actually had my job back. But I had to take a couple drinks that morning before I went in to promise him that I wouldn't drink again. And by the time I got there, I didn't need the job, so I just gave him the keys. <laughs> but I went to AA. I don't know what I was looking for. I guess maybe I was looking for a way to drink successfully. I don't know what I was looking for. I wasn't honest with anyone at AA meetings or in, in my, with my business associates. I found it hard to be honest. When I drank, it seemed that one lie led to another. And I could never remember what I had told anyone. 
It was just just on the merry-go-round that I, could, I couldn't get off. But I kept going back to these meetings. I attended AA for 18 months before it ever meant anything to me at all. I would go for a couple of weeks and then I would graduate. And then I would have to turn back to AA. AA ruined my drinking for me. I never had any fun drinking after I made my first AA meeting. I can remember Juanita inviting her Al-Anon and AA friends in. I didn't have any friends in AA at that time. She would invite them into the house. And I would have to sit there, and I was miserable that I couldn't drink. But these people kept talking to me, and it eventually got through. I think I hit my bottom. I think we all have different bottoms. And I thank God this morning that I didn't have to go any farther down than what I did. I think I went far enough. And I find it so wonderful. I'm 34 years old now. I haven't found it necessary to take a drink for two years and eight months. I think this program has so much to offer for the new people, for the young people. One of the hardest things that faced me what does a person do that is 31 years old and quits drinking? I thought you would wither up and die. But I reached my bottom. It was on a Friday, November the 9th. I had spent a week down at the lakes fishing with some very dear friends of mine, drinking friends that I had associated with for about six years, and we were inseparable. And it seems when I got home this Friday that I wasn't welcome at the house. This was my mother-in-law's house. I had been thrown out a couple of weeks before, but I decided I should go back this Friday morning. They wouldn't leave me in, so I went back over to my favorite tavern, and I proceeded to get drunk. It was about 7 o'clock this evening, but I had built up enough false courage. Uh, I had sat there all day, of course, and lied to my friends that my mother-in-law had locked me out of my house, and she had stolen this business away from me, and I had built my courage up enough that I was going to go back over and tell her that she couldn't keep me out. And this I did. And I remember going through the door. It was locked when I went through. <laughs> she asked me to leave, and of course, uh, as belligerent as I was, I wouldn't. Uh, so she'd done the obvious thing. She called the police to get me out of there. And uh, I, I remember this very well, and I was in a drunken stupor. I said, that would be a fine thing for you to do, have your son-in-law arrested. I said, who's going to feed these kids? <laughs> let me tell you, she let me know who was going to feed them. 
rest of that night is rather hazy. It, it seems that I decided that the police couldn't arrest me. Uh, I went down to the basement and got my shotgun, the 12-gauge automatic, and my mother-in-law got her 410. wasn't very funny that night, <laughs> but, but thank God that I can't laugh about it. I don't know what would have happened if we'd come face to face that night. I thank God that we didn't. I wound up in the attic. I, 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 was, I, was, I was satisfied. I wasn't bothering anyone once again. Uh, the police had gotten there by that time, and when they found out I had the shotgun up on that third floor way up in the attic, and it was dark up there, uh, they didn't want any part of it, so they called out the riot squad. And uh, I don't know what the neighbors must have thought that night uh, with the spotlights and the red lights on the house. Uh, uh, I didn't know all this was going on. I was peace and contentment up there. And my wife called AA for me that night. And I, I would like to say right here, I've heard many times around AA that you shouldn't go until the alcoholic calls. I don't know how I could have called that night. We didn't have a phone in our attic. I couldn't, have, I couldn't have seen the phone nor dialed it. But my wife called for me, and AA did come running. My brother, two other members of AA, and a priest come that evening, and they talked those police into leaving. I don't know what they told them. But I wound up in our hospital that night I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. I, I didn't want to go to the hospital. Because I knew once I was committed to that hospital that I could no longer deny that I wasn't having a problem with alcohol. I, I wasn't ready to stop drinking yet. I even thought about drinking after I got out of this hospital. I only spent three days there. It's a very, very good hospital. They can do a lot for you if you want help. I, I didn't want any help. All I wanted to do was get out, which I did. Uh, the only thing I remember about this hospital, that the AA people, people that I had been drinking around for 18 months, come to see me at this hospital. And the four fellows that I had drank with for six years forgot about me. And to this very day, I haven't heard from one of them yet. And I remembered this when I got out. And I went to see my sponsor. And thank God that I did. I found that through the association of this program that I don't have to drink if I don't want to. 
I have been given the power of choice. And I ask God each morning to help me not to take a drink today. And I thank him each and every night. It's so wonderful to have that power of choice. For so many years, I didn't know I had that. I thought I had to drink. I thought it was the thing to do. Since being in AA, I have two more daughters. We have nine children. And I feel that we have an AA family. I can remember many occasions coming home in my drunken stupor and can vaguely remember seeing the kids run, run into their bedroom and lock the door. Now, my children run to the door to meet me when I come home. We talk AA around the home, to and from meetings. My wife is very active in Al-Anon, and Cindy, my oldest daughter, in our team. I'm very thankful. I found that, I don't know how this happened, that AA has just become a, a part of my life. My sponsor told me to get active in the program, and I did this. And I found something that I wanted. My sponsor told me that I would have to give this program away if I wanted to keep it. And I feel ever so humble when I can help someone else. I love to do 12-step work. I am unable to do as much as I would like. I find it very gratifying. I wondered what I would do when I quit drinking. And you people have given me that answer. I find now that I am unable to get around in seven days a week. when for so long I could hardly get through a day. I wish to thank you people for what you have given me. Thank you.